Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. There was a woman that passed away. She went to the pearly gates and there she met Peter. She said, Peter, what do I need to do to get in? Like, like how do I get into heaven? Peter looked at her and said, you just got to spell one word. She said, okay, what word? He said, love. And she said, okay, L-O-V-E. And he's like, you spelled it right, you're in. And she's like, yes. So she's up there standing next to Peter. Peter's like, hey, I got to run a couple errands. Uh, can you kind of stand guard for me just for a little while? And she's like, sure, no problem. 10 minutes later, uh, her former husband shows up. And she's like, hey, I've missed you. You know, like, how was everything? And he, she, she thought he was just gonna say, it's been horrible, like living life without you. And he's like, you know, you won't believe it. Life was amazing. Uh, right after you died, I ended up marrying my secretary, bought the house I always wanted, end up winning the lottery. And, uh, you know, was in Switzerland skiing, hit my head on a rock. And that's actually why I'm here. And uh, she's like, oh, okay. And he's like, so what do I need to do to get in? And she looks at him and says, you just need to spell one word correctly. And he looks back at her and says, what word? There's this long, awkward pause. She looks at him and says, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> I don't care who you are. That was funny, folks. That was funny. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We are kicking off a nine-week series talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is so important because it is impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. And if there's one person that demonstrated this perfectly, it was the life of Jesus Christ. And so over these nine weeks, what we're going to talk about is the reality when the, the Holy Spirit comes into our life, the moment we give our lives to Jesus Christ and we are yielding to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will produce this ninefold fruit in our lives. It's ninefold fruit. It's singular, not plural. All right, there's different spiritual gifts, plural, Fruit of the Spirit, singular, it's demonstrated in nine different ways, which means you can't say, you know what, I'm going to be a loving person, but I'm not going to be patient, and I'm not going to be joyful, and I'm not going to have self-control. No, all of these will be evident in the life of a Christian. And so let's stand as we set up the context for this series, Galatians chapter 5. We stand because we are a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, and it's a simple way for us to honor the reading of God's Word. Verse 16, Galatians 5, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Let me just pause there for a second. This, these are some of the things. This is not an exhaustive list because he says in things like these. 
I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Heavenly Father, right now, just soften our hearts. God, it's so easy to, to show up, listen to a message and let it go in one ear and out the other. We don't want that to happen today. We, we want to we receive with open hearts whatever you want to share with us today. And God, I pray for your help that I would communicate this in a way that honors you, that your spirit would communicate through me. God, would you have your way in our lives today? It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Grab your message notes out. That's a great way to track with the message today. I believe that one of the greatest indicators of living the Christian life, one of the greatest measurements is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The, the Holy Spirit is the engine in our lives. You know, think about it. If you have a car that runs on gasoline, the one thing you put in it is gasoline. If you try to put anything else in there, like orange juice or lemonade or whatever, it's not going to run properly. The one person that needs to control our lives as followers of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit ruling in our lives, reigning in our lives. And here's why this is so important. If you get one thing over the next nine weeks, it's this. Our culture appeals to your feelings. Whatever feels good, do it. And this is so important because feelings appeal to the flesh. And that's the complete opposite of what Paul's talking about here. Spirit appeals to the scriptures, what's true. And so over the next nine weeks, we're going to be dealing with this reality that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us and guide us and encourage us to live a life that's contrary to how we feel. And some of our feelings can be so strong and so real and so raw at times. And to put those to the side and say, God, even though I feel this way, I want to be led by the Spirit Amen. to love people the way that you ultimately love me, to experience joy the way that you want me to, to experience peace that's only possible with Christ. So the first thing that we want to do today is we want to talk about and we want to define what is love. This is the foundation. This is the building block. If we struggle with love, we're going to struggle with these other attributes that we see in this fruit of the Spirit. Point number one in your notes, what is love? Love is seeking the highest good for others. It's seeking the highest good for others. Again, this is countercultural. What does culture say? Love is seeking the highest good for yourself. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever sounds good, smells good, looks good, whatever you want, indulge in it because the one thing that you need to be is happy. No, the one thing that we need to be as Christians is holy. We need to be set apart. We're called to be set apart. And so love is seeking the highest good for others. In other words, it's not about us. It's not about how I feel. It's not about my desires being met. It's about seeking the highest good for others because that's ultimately what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
Now, when we look at the Greek, there's four different words for love in the Greek. Number one is, is eros. It's where we get uh, the word erotic. It's this sensual love that people have for one another. Uh, phileo, it's a brotherly love. That's the, where we get the city of um, Philadelphia, brotherly love. Uh, storge, it's familial love. It's the love that the parent has for a child and child for, for a parent. The love that we're talking about today, the, lo- the love that we see in Galatians chapter five is agape. It's love without conditions. It's the love that God has for us. It's a love that never stops. It's a love that's saturated with grace. What's grace? It's, it's getting what we don't deserve. That's the love that we're talking about because anybody can have a brotherly love. Anybody can have some kind of an erotic love, a, a, a familial love, but a love that, that isn't based upon somebody else, but it's based upon the love that God has for us is life-changing. You know, it was in John chapter 21. Peter had already denied knowing Jesus three different times. And Jesus approaches Peter and he asks him three different times, Peter, do you love me? Now, now the word that Jesus used to Peter in the Greek was agape. Peter, do you love me unconditionally? And, and Peter responds with, of course I love you but he uses the word phileo as a brother. And he says, then feed my sheep. So he's telling Peter, hey, if, if you're gonna be the minister that I want you to, do, to be in the future, you're gonna need to shepherd my people. He asked him a second time, Peter, do you agape me? Do you let, love me unconditionally? He responds uh, uh, a second time, God, God, you know, Jesus, you know that I phileo you. I love you as a brother. And then the third time, Jesus changes the way he asks the question. He says, Peter, do you even phileo me? Do you even love me as a brother? And he says, Jesus, you know I phileo you. And he's trying to move Peter from this brotherly love to this unconditional love, this agape love. And if there's one passage in scripture that describes this kind of love, and we really wanna kind of have a litmus test of how we're doing, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul describes this kind of love. And what you could do if you want to kind of find out how you're doing, instead of that word love, you can just put your name there. So I would put Jeremy is patient and kind and evaluate how I'm doing. Jeremy does not envy or boast. I'm going to stop right there because I'm not doing too well, all right? But you can do that on your own. But this is what it says. It says, love is patient. Let me just stop there just for a second. It's one of the hardest things to live out, isn't it? A life of patience, especially when you have teenagers, especially when you have little kids, uh, I'm teaching Drew how to drive now. I've got the privilege. He's 16 years old. Yeah, pray for your boy, all right? We were here at the church parking lot, hardly anybody here, uh, a couple days ago, and I'm teaching him how to drive. He gets up to 30 miles an hour in the parking lot. (laughs) What happened? I rededicated my life to the Lord is what happened. I've been praying, but it's like, you know, trying, trying to be patient and trying not to like break even though I'm in the passenger's chair, right? It doesn't do anything. Um, but I realized that even if it wasn't my son, other people, I struggle to be patient, especially when I'm driving. Why? Because there's always that, that person. When I mean that person, that person that's going 50 miles an hour in the fast lane on the freeway and you're like trapped in and you can't go anywhere. It's like, okay, just trying to be patient. And I've realized that in my life, I can set myself up for success or failure when it comes to patience. Why? There are times where I'm always running late. Instead of getting somewhere early, I'm like, ah, I got five minutes and I can do three more, four more things. And I'm always redlining it. What would it look like for you and me in this season to set ourselves up for success in this area? Because we're, we're trying to get places early. 
Went to the chiropractor the other day and uh, I was waiting in line. The lady said, hey, you go ahead. I'm not in a hurry. And it was so refreshing because I'm like, neither am I. I hardly ever say that. First thing, love is patient and kind. You're going to leave church today and God's going to give you opportunities to be patient and kind. This message has been on my mind all week, thinking about just being kind. I was at the gym on Friday. I'm like, I'm just going to sit in the hot tub. I'm going to chill. I go and I sit in the hot tub and I'm just chilling. And then all of a sudden I see this door open. I'm outside and this big dude in a black Speedo comes out. Sits in, the, sits in the hot tub next to me and it's super awkward and he's just like kind of looking at me and he said, hey man, you've got a really nice body. How do you respond to that? I said, thank you. I didn't know. He's like, hey, you're the, you're the guy in the maroon shorts, right? I'm like, no, I'm not. In fact, I'm sure he's got a better body than me, right? trying to distract him. And I'm like, hey, I've been sitting in here for a while. It's all yours. How long had I been sitting in there? It didn't matter. It was long enough. So I get out of there and I'm like, I'm just going to sit in the sauna, go by myself, sit in the sauna for a little bit. So I'm in there for about 10 minutes. Door opens. Look up. Guess who it is? Big dude in black speedo. He's like, hey man, there's no place for me to sit. I scoot over and say, hey, sit right here. So I'm sitting there for about five, 10 seconds. Uh, because that was long enough for me. And I, I leave, but that whole time, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, how can I be kind? There's going to be people that make you feel uncomfortable, make you feel awkward, make you feel weird, whatever it is. It doesn't matter because agape love is unconditional. It's not based upon how they make you feel. It's based upon what you do and how you act and what you say because God is love. goes on and says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. All of those have to do with selfishness. If you struggle with pride, you struggle with selfishness, and you don't deal with it, you will always struggle to love. Goes on and says, it is not irritable or resentful. Hello. You ever have people that irritate you? Don't look to the left or right right now, please. This is not the... Some of you are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm working on this, this message. I go, it's Friday, and I'm like just going through it, and I'm like, I'm going to go downtown. I got a nice coffee, you know, one of those frou-frou ones that costs like 75 bucks. So I get a, a real nice coffee, and I sit down. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to read through my message, study for a little bit, get a phone call. It's from Hallie's school. She's in seventh grade. The office lady said that she's been hit in the face with a volleyball. And so Holly talks to me. I'm like, sweetie, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay, dad. Can you come pick me up? Um, and you know the flush? You know what the flush was? Dad, can you come pick me up? No. Uh, that's what I was thinking, right? But I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be irritable. Uh, sweetie, are you okay? Hey, hey why, don't, why don't you see if you're you know, a little bit better in like 20 minutes? And I'm like trying to live out like patience and kindness. And inside, I'm like, suck it up, buttercup. I'll pick you up after school, right? But I'm like, I, I can't get irritable and all that. I'm like, 20 minutes, see how it goes. And, you know, I hang up the phone. I'm like, hang up the phone. You know, the flesh inside is like, Sister Sue, unless you got like Wilson on your forehead that's been tattooed, I ain't going to come and pick you up, right? But I'm trying not to be, you know, irritable. And 20 minutes later, I get a phone call and it's the school and Hallie and, hey, can you come pick her up? She still has a sore face. And it's like, no problem. You know, so I pour my $75 coffee in a to-go cup, go to the school, all that kind of stuff. And the only way I could do that it's because I was thinking about the Holy Spirit 
leading me and guiding me because the flesh will be ugly. The flesh, when I'm, when I'm functioning with the flesh, I will say things and do things that I will regret. But just in that moment, I'm like, man, how different is my life when I'm functioning according to the Holy Spirit? It says it's, it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Just pause there just for a second. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. If there's one thing that our culture does, it's that. It rejoices in wrongdoing. You know, one of the biggest things on my heart, the, the heaviest weight on my heart right now for our culture is when it comes to sexual identity and sexuality. And we live in a culture that used to, to talk about right and wrong, and now sin is celebrated. And I think one of the most unloving things we can do as Christians is affirm a lie that somebody else is believing about themselves. And so what would it look like for us to do that with a lot of love, a lot of grace, but it says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It was about 15, 16 years ago, uh, there were four gals from our high school ministry that wanted to meet with me after our high school service. Um, all of them said, hey, we want to talk to you because we're all bi. And I said, first, let me just pray. And I started talking about the identity that we have in Christ, that first and foremost, our identity is not our race, it's not our sexuality, it's not our, our gender, it's the fact that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. And just because at times we, we have feelings, we have urges that sometimes are so strong, we don't need to give in to those because we need to rely on the truth. And it was a great opportunity of really trying to live this out. And we need to fight for that as a culture and to do it with a ton of love and a, a lot of grace. But it says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Some translations say love always protects, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I believe one of the things that we can do is believe the best for people to not give up on people. You know, Jesus Christ has never given up on you. You realize that? Some of you are here today, you've already given up on yourself. You've got somebody that's never given up on you and never will. His name is Jesus. What would it look like for you to love people in such a way where you don't give up on them? Love is seeking the highest good for others. What does that mean? It means that it's sincere, it's steadfast, it's serving, it's self-restraining, it's self-denying, it's sacrificial, it's sympathetic, it's suffering. Love is seeking the highest good for others. Second of all, is love is the nature and motivation of God. It's, it's the nature, it's who God is, and it's why God does what he does. Now, I can't think of a more overused, abused word in our culture. Oh, I love fries, I love cheese, I love sushi, hello. I love all of these things. And so often we throw out this word love because of how it makes us feel. I love clothes, I love actors, I love movies, I love TV, I love the Dodgers, I love the Giants, I love whatever. Well, what does that mean? It's, it's talking about I love all these things because it how it makes me feel. And you know what the culture does? The culture appeals to your, your feelings. How does it do that? Through your five senses. Taste, touch, smell, sight, and hearing. That's what the culture will do because if it can make you feel a certain way, it will direct you. You know how my wife gets me out of bed in the morning? If she wants me to get up really early, 
she makes bacon. It's a game changer. I can't stay in bed with the smell of bacon. Why? She's appealing to my senses. What does Disneyland do? Disneyland is constantly appealing to people's senses. Create all this amazing food that looks good, it smells good. They've got all these lights and parades that look amazing. They play this music that just makes you feel like you're at the happiest place on earth, right? But to love, it has nothing to do with how you feel. Please do not miss that. For some of you, the greatest thing that you can do is acknowledge your feelings and put those to the side. Say, God, I'm not going to live a life based on how I'm hurting, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm fearful, but I'm not going to let my feelings control me. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit control me. And, and this is what it says. Love is the nature and motivation of God. 1 John 4, 7 to 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That word knows in the Greek is gnosko. It's to, to know God by experience. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you don't love, it means that the Spirit, and that's agape love, it means the Holy Spirit is not in your life and you are not in relationship with God. Why? Because God is love. It's the core of who he is. Now, he's also just, he's also righteous. He has all these different attributes that work in perfect harmony. Only God can do that. It's his nature but it's also his motivation. You ever wonder, why do you do what you do? Well, why? Why do you do what you do? What if the motivation for your life flew out of your love for God and love for others? Because that's the love of Jesus. In John chapter 3, 16, for God so loved the world, his motivation, that he gave his only son. Why did God send Jesus to die on the cross? Because he loves you. 1 John 3, 16, uh, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for one another. The motivation of what we do is love. 1 Corinthians 16 says, let all that you do be done in love. What does that mean? That means that we have to be selfless. That means that we have to be sacrificial. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, he loved us not because we are lovable but because he is love. You know who defines people as unlovable? Us, God never does. You know, I realize how unlovable I am at times and that God keeps loving me. Just changes everything. I'm not saying that you need to become best friends with people. I'm not saying that you even need to like people. But I am saying that that we have to love people. Love is seeking the highest good for others. Love is the nature and motivation of God. Thirdly, love is a choice demonstrated through action. Now, this is what's gonna separate people that have great relationships from people that have lousy ones. Because a lot of people will say love is a feeling. And that's where they justify, yeah, we fell into love and then we fall out of love. You don't fall out of love, folks. You choose to stop loving somebody because love is a choice. This will change your marriage. This will change your family. This will change how you treat your in-laws and outlaws and people that are, are rough. Person at work that nobody else likes. 
you're gonna stand out because you're the one person that loves them. Why? Because you're choosing to love. And I'm not talking about in the moment. If you wait till you're in the moment, most likely you'll respond according to the flesh. I'm talking about every day in the morning saying, God, thank you for loving me. And I'm gonna choose to love anybody and everybody you put in my life. Now that does not mean you enable them. That does not mean you just tell them what they wanna hear. And in fact, I would say that's not love at all. For, for some of you, God is going to tell you to communicate some hard truths to other people. Why? The motivation is love. You know who I realize loves me the most is the people that tell me the hard truths. Things that may hurt my feelings, but they care about me enough that they just, they just want me to be the best man, the best husband, the best father, the best pastor I can possibly be. Love is a choice demonstrated through action. Now, here's the difference between love and lust. Love focuses on others. Lust focuses on self, what we can get. I wanna say that one more time. Love focuses on others. Lust focuses on self. And we have a culture that defines uh, and often communicates something as loving when really it's lustful because it's all about what we can get instead of agape, which is all about what we can give. Here's a, been a verse that's been on my heart recently. It's Philippians chapter four, specifically verse eight. Let me set up the context. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Algernon talked about that last week. He said, hey, if I can change your mind, I'll change your life. Why? Because it all starts in the mind. It's the same with love. Love starts in the mind when we realize how much we're loved and that love is a choice, changes everything. And then it goes on here, and this is the verse that's been on my heart. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything uh, excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. It all starts in the mind. And I say that because some of you, you give way too much stock to what you think. You give way too much credit to how you feel. Like I could tell you what I think and how I feel at the end of the day, who cares? It's, it's all about what God's word says, what God says is true, what God wants for our lives. And I think one of the worst things we can do is give way too much credit based upon how we feel and what we think. This is what it says in Romans chapter five, verse eight. It says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A choice to love even when the culture would call us unlovable. And some of us are thinking, well, I don't really want to. Not only that, he, he says it's a command. In John chapter 13, Jesus put it this way. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must choose to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Again, it is a choice demonstrated through action. You know, I was thinking about what would happen if I go back to InShape and Speedo, Speedo Man is there and he asked me for my phone number. This is, what, this is what my mind does. I would probably most likely look him in the eyes and say, sure, you can have my phone number. And he'd be like, what's your name? And I would say, Scott. <laughs> Last name, Grimm. And then I would give the guy Scott Grimm's phone number. And I would say, don't text me, call me, right? That, that's what I would do. No, I don't, but, but there's a way for all of us 
to regardless of what's, what comes to us in life, we choose to treat people with love. And it's always demonstrated through our actions. Now, let's get really practical. How do we live this out? How, how, how do we actually do this? I believe there's three different things that we need to do. Number one is we need to meditate on God's love for us. You know what helps me love other people, even though I'm still a work in progress, is, is just realizing and reminding myself on a regular basis how much I need the grace of God, how much of a sinner I am, how many times I've, I've hurt the heart of God. When I, when, I, when I realize that in the morning, boy, if God can love me, I can love anybody. You know, if you want to set yourself up for failure spiritually, don't spend any time in this book. I am a different person when I am reading the word of God and I am being reminded of how much God loves me, how much he cares about me. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're so unlovable. God loves you. And he proved that love by sending his son Jesus on the cross to die in your place for your sin. Nobody else has done that. But to take time every day to meditate on God's love for us, man, that God loves us so much. Second of all, pray and be led by the Spirit. Pray and be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, this is where, again, we're early in the morning saying, God, I'm not going to give into the flesh. I'm going I'm to let the Spirit control my life. You know, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One of the things that, that I try to do is I, don't, I try not to let bitterness and resentment and anger and frustration get in my life when people hurt me. Because like, like you guys, you get hurt. I'm a person, I get hurt as well. And so what I do is I find myself praying for people that have hurt me. And I'm not talking like, God, like strike them with lightning. Like not that kind of a prayer, right? But I'm talking about like, God, would you, would you bless this person? And God, God, there has to be this authenticity in my heart. And often at night, I'll pray that with, with Kelly and we'll pray for a person here, a person there where, where I know that I don't wanna have resentment. I don't wanna have bitterness. And I just wanna pray for God's blessing in their life. Also, I do my best not to avoid people that have hurt me. So if I've been hurt by somebody and I see them at the grocery store, I don't, I don't do that. I'll go up, I will acknowledge, I will give somebody a hug, I will affirm them because that's my, that's my heart because I wanna focus not on what I feel, but what I know. Some of you are like, so that's why you hugged me at the grocery store the other day. <laughs> I think sometimes we, we need to have close people in our lives where we can acknowledge how we feel, but pray based upon what we know. What would it look like for you in this season to be somebody that prays and be led by the Holy Spirit? And then lastly, is focus on truth. Don't focus on you, how you feel. Don't, don't focus on what you want. Focus on truth. Focus on what the Bible says. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. So other people will, will know that you're my disciples is if you love one another, that God is love. You know, this last week I was watching a, a video on YouTube and it was a, a video of a 12-year-old baseball player. He was up to bat and he got hit in the helmet by the pitcher. Went down, fell on the ground 
and slowly got up and he jogged over to first base. And then they showed the pitcher and he was just, he was in tears crying. And the, the kid on first base who got hit in the head by this pitcher walked over to the pitcher and just hugged him. In the midst of this pitcher's pain, even though he was the one that hurt the batter, the batter goes to the pitcher and hugs him. Now that's the complete opposite of normally what we see in the major leagues, right? Normally in the major leagues, what happens? Throw their helmet, their bat, and it's, it's on like Donkey Kong, right? Because the flesh is kicking in. And I thought about that young person that went to the pitcher's mound, and I thought, man, it's like Jesus. We're the ones that hurt Jesus. We're the ones that offended Jesus. We're the ones that, is, that sinned against Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He came to us. Why? Because love always moves in. He came to us, lived a perfect life, a sinless life, went to the cross in our place for our sins, died, rose again three days later, proving victory over sin, over death, so that we can have life. And says that whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Boy, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I just want you to know he loves you so much that if you were the only person here on this earth, he would die for you so that you can have life. And with that life comes the Holy Spirit because this love we're talking about, you can't live it on your own. It's impossible to live without the Holy Spirit. So my greatest prayer is that you would know the love of God through Jesus Christ, who alone saves you from your sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us when we wanted nothing to do with you. Thank you for loving us in a way that never stops. Thank you, God, that your love for us is not based upon how we treat you. It's based upon your character. It's based upon who you are. And God, we pray that in these coming weeks, we would yield to the Holy Spirit, that we would not rely on our feelings and our flesh but that your truth and your word and your Holy Spirit would accomplish what only your Holy Spirit can accomplish in and through our lives, and that the fruit of the Spirit would be more evident than ever in our lives. God, for some of us, we confess to you right now that we have been living a life based upon the flesh. Today, we want that to change.